Hey everyone, my online course on the rehabilitation of the fitness athlete with Dan Pope is on sale this week. If you want to work with higher level fitness athletes and help people get back into the gym after an injury, this is the course for you. Head to MikeRandall.com slash fitathlete to learn more and sign up this week. On this episode of the Ask Mike Randall Show, we talk about whether or not poor movement predicts injury. The Ask Mike Reinhold Show. Helping people feel better, move better, and perform better. Before we get to the podcast, I wanted to make sure you knew about my free online course on the introduction to performance therapy and training. If you want to learn how to get started optimizing and enhancing performance, this is the course for you. Head to MikeReynolds.com slash performance to sign up today. Welcome back, everybody, to the latest episode of the Ask Mike Reynolds Show. I am here at Champion PT Performance up in Boston with our crew of, or some of our PTs and strength coaches that are here answering your questions. Anything you want to talk about, head to MikeReynolds.com, click on that podcast link, and you can fill out your question so we can answer it on a future episode. Uh, so let's see. We got Kevin Coughlin, Dewesh Podell, uh, Dan Pope, uh, Lenny McCrina, Dave Tilly, Mike Scaduto, Lisa Lowe, all here for you. Len, who do we have for students today? We have some amazing students. We've shifted around um, since the past few weeks. We have a new crop of amazing guys. We have uh, Cody Adams from Franklin Pierce University in their tiny little campus in Arizona. We have Eric Boich from the New York Institute of Technology. They teach a lot of technology, apparently, in the PT program. Um, and we have Brian Hunter from the University of Hartford in Connecticut. You think that's like an advanced Beautiful. PT program or it's all like tech-based? It's all algebra. It, doing like it's coding. Cal- cal- calculus and algebra and stuff. STEM-based, STEM anything, but uh, <laughs> but awesome. Anyway, awesome. All right. Uh, what do we got today? Let me see. Who's up today? Is it Cody? All right. Chet from New Orleans asks, I don't think there's a good, I don't think there's good evidence that poor movement predicts injury. Is this true? If it doesn't, how do you guys think about the things in the clinic? Do you bother to educate your patients about these things? Awesome. Nailed it, Cody. I like that. Good job. That was great. <laughs> um, so, all right. Movement predicting injury. We've all been through this conversation before, right? Um, Yeah, uh, you know, initially when this movement screen kind of concept came about, right, we had a lot of a lot of screens came to the market, like, you know, some really good ones, some really well thought out designed ones, you know, we don't need to name them by names. They're all excellent (laughs) types of uh, screens. There is some initial buzz as research started coming out and some research was showing that you could predict injury with some of these screens. Uh, but it seems like to me, and I, I'm kind of curious if anybody else um, has a different thought or they've read something different, but it seems like the more we research these, these types of screens and the more we try to do like one generic screen on a large variety of athletes and sports and genders and positions, right? And all these like different things that you could have that the harder it is to have one screen that predicts injury, right? So um, I think we're seeing that a lot of time. But I think what Chet is getting at here here too is if the evidence is showing that movement doesn't predict injury do we still work on movement in the clinic 
right? Do we work on, on optimal movement? And again, this is where the early career professionals and the students, 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 wow, I just made up for it. And the students, uh, they have a hard time reconciling what they're seeing on social media, right? With people slamming all these concepts and knowing what to do, right? So who wants to start this one? Does, does movement predict injury? And if it doesn't, which it probably doesn't predict injury, do we still care if a person moves good, bad, et cetera? Who wants to start that one? I mean, I'll take the obvious, right? Like we talk about ACL and decreasing injury rates, like Tim Hewitt's all of his studies and just looking at jumping landing techniques and landing into a valgus knee. That's the obvious where social media, I feel like is just off with this one and just trying to justify, they'll put a classic picture of like Usain Bolt sprinting with a valgus knee. And I'm like, well, that's, that's different than jumping and landing um, in the middle of a basketball game or a football game. Um, I mean, we've shown that if you jump and land with a valgus knee, you have a higher chance. Actually, we've shown if you fix that, landing technique your risk of injury goes down 50 to you know 67 percent i think is tim's meta-analysis of a meta-analysis um and so i i i think it goes back to the classic answer it depends um where some movement is okay but in other situations especially in this the classic valgus jumping and landing female athletes you put, you put all the variables together where you got a female athlete uh you know high school age uh, jumping in a valgus knee, maybe quad dominant, and and then you put that all together, and yes, that movement could contribute to uh, a faulty or an issue down the road with you know higher increase of injury. So yes, I would say some movement like that is potentially detrimental and puts you at it's a risk reward thing, right? Like, why would you want to land like that when we know if you land another way, it's a, it's a little bit better for you. I don't know. Uh, the, the human body is an amazing thing, Len. It should be it should be allowed to do whatever it wants. <laughs> right, it's always the classic social media answer. I, I, I you know, I, I think that's a good general rule of thumb, like for for people as you're trying to navigate, you know, opinions on social media. Anybody that's like too, like uh, always or never, right? Just just be nervous of that person's, you know, educational style on social media. I think that's that's always a good one, you know, too. So, uh, Dan, what do you think? Yeah, I try not to be too long winded, just because this this could be. <laughs> You know, so huge. No, go um, long winded. Let's, <laughs> let's make this a double Power. episode. Let's do it. <laughs> um, well, I, you know, my world's all weightlifting, right? And I actually think that your worlds have a little bit more research to back up whether or not movement is, is good or bad, you know? Um, but the big ones for uh, my world is low back rounding, right? In the bottom of a, let's say a deadlift. And then knee in in the bottom of a squat, right? And you have those two ends of the spectrum. So, you know, if your knees come in ever, that's why your knees hurt, right? And you have the other end of the spectrum. It's like, well, knees come in all the time in the most elite athletes and it's fine, right? That's not a big deal. They do it all the time. Your body can adapt and prepare. And it's funny because people are pointing at the research showing that moving with a flex spine is fine, but I don't think that's great research. It's not specific to the populations we're talking about at all. You know, you have these big studies and let's say nurses and other professionals and they watch how they bend down to pick something off the floor. And if they, if they have a flex spine, they're looking at the correlations between pathology and functional disability and there is none. But how are you going to design a study 
with, let's say, a power lifter and try to figure out the exact amount of flexion they have in the bottom of a deadlift and then try to control all the other variables in their training and study them over the course of like 50 years and ask them when they're 80, hey, does your back hurt at this point, right? Um, I think it'd be incredibly hard to design a study that actually answers this question for us. So it's not really fair on either end of the spectrum to say, hey, it's safe or it's not safe, right? Um, so for me, I think it comes down to performance as well. So if I want to deadlift a lot of weight, like how are the best powerlifters in the world deadlifting? And if they're trying to keep a relatively neutral spine, then I'm going to try to treat, I'm going to try to create that same technique over the course of time. Uh, and if I'm noticing more folks are not handling, let's say a little more flexion in their spine, I might try to take them away from that position. Um, but I think the argument is not really fair because people are pointing at research that doesn't help to answer the question. It's just, you know, I don't know, more jabber and more confusing uh, to people out there. that are trying to learn. Right. Right. And it always comes down to the, it comes down to the situation of, you know, it, can you ever design a research study that uh, perfectly includes and excludes all variables to make it completely relevant? And the answer is it's so hard to do that, but it does amaze me though, how some people do like to like, like latch onto something like you said, they're like, you know, posture and nurses and then apply that to powerlifting, right? Like, like, like it's amazing how some people kind of do that, but but, uh, Kevin, what do you think? We'll be back after a quick break. I hope you're enjoying the podcast episode. If you want to learn more from me, please check out my website, MikeRinald.com. In addition to all my great articles, videos, and podcast episodes, I have a ton of online CEU courses, as well as my inner circle online mentorship and community. Be sure to subscribe to my free newsletter where I'm always sending you great info and exclusive perks and discounts. Just head to MikeRinald.com to get started. Thanks so much. Yeah, uh, this just reminds me of a conversation I was having with Dan last week when we were out for uh, a run together. And we saw, like, just the craziest form on some people. And, you know, you start, we were just saying, at what point do we consider intervening? And a a runner like that where the the form is just, you know, we've all seen it in various recreational runners. Um, And I I think what we kind of said was if it's someone who's completely new to the sport, um, we potentially consider how do the most elite runners run, right. And, and take tips from them to optimize their performance. Um, I don't know if we can say that that runner is going to go ahead and get hurt, but I think this is kind of the style we use here at champion is, you know, I don't know if you're going to get hurt moving that way, but you're definitely not running optimally. Um, and there's probably ways that we can make that better. Uh, so that, that was just, you know, an interesting thing. And I, I guess I go with that approach. If it's someone who's been running for a very long time, you know, several marathons under their belt and they haven't got hurt to this point, you know, maybe you, you let them keep running that way. Um, but if they're coming to us and they're saying, how can I run a little more optimally? We kind of look at, you know, we'll break out some certain movements, see if we can increase capacity in certain areas um, and look at how the most elite runners run and try to make it a little similar to that. So that's probably the approach I take with movement. Um, but to say that someone's going to get hurt, I think is is tricky. I wish it was more clear cut than that, <laughs> especially yeah, being I, a newer PT. Uh, it would have been I, nice. I, I hate that. I hate trying to say like that this is going to cause injury. It may increase stress, right? It may increase force. 
you know, that sort of thing, but that doesn't mean it necessarily results in injury. Like I would say, like, if I were to start jogging right now and my knees went in and like every time my knee went in, you know, like awkwardly into like a, a, a valgus position. Sure. I could do that once, but what if I did that and just started jogging 10 miles out of the blue? I mean, maybe that would be annoying afterwards, right? Like if I were to take a hammer and just like hit my thumb lightly, that wouldn't be fun. Right. But I could probably handle it once. Right. But if I, if I did that over the course of a day, that would probably get fairly annoying to my thumb. Right. You know, that was a bad example, but I think you get my point, right? Lisa, Lisa what do you think? <laughs> um. I mean, when Kevin said watching bad running form, that's one of those things. I think any rower who knows how to row and goes to a gym and sees someone try and use an erg, it's kind of that same, like, (laughs) Ooh, do you say something? Like, are they going to hurt their back? Are they going to hurt their whatever? And like, Um, you know, especially like the PT brain in me is always like, yeah, do I say something? (laughs) Because There's just that, that pretty big potential for something not going quite right. But, but, like we've been saying, right? Like someone who is recreationally rowing like that, like the amount of force they can produce, the amount of time they're spending doing it, like all of those things, right? Like they might just be fine. You know, they're not spending 70 minutes sitting on an erg, like pushing as hard as they can. So maybe it's fine, you know? Right. Um, and I, I think, you know, that goes a pretty far away, but um, this time of year, it's interesting because I feel like a lot of rowers shift from, on the water rowing to like winter training mode of like mixture of like running and erging and this and that and whatever. So I almost see more like running overuse injuries all of a sudden because their hips now have this like running demand and they're not used to it. So now their knees start to bother them or this or that. And so that's where I've found usually when I'm screening a rower, even during kind of more of their peak on the water mileage, um, I'll point out to them like, Hey, it doesn't super impact you as much when you're rowing, but whenever you shift to more of a running time of year, like your amount of hip stability and knee control and this and that, like you've got to be careful when you're upping your running mileage because you might be then fighting like a knee pain or this or that. So I feel like, you know, depending on right, like the, the loads and the activities and, and how much like those, those movement patterns either impact or don't, but um, yeah. Awesome. I usually no, point I, it out because just for that chance of like, Hey, if you go on vacation and you decide instead of rowing, you're going to run every day, like, <laughs> you know, might right. not be and, the best thing. And you, and you're not, your body's not used to those, those movement patterns that may be either efficient or inefficient, right? That's a different stress applied to the body, a different load. Uh, Mike, of all sports in all athletes we see, right? I would say golfers probably have the ugliest movement patterns, right? And still try (laughs) to play their sport, right? Uh, Probably because, you know, you can play golf at later stages in life as our movement quality continues to decrease. But like, I mean, how much, you know, somebody comes into you for an uh, evaluation and they move poorly, like how important is that to you? Yeah. I mean, I would definitely say I was going to start off by touching on the concept of why we use a screen in the first place. And I think we know there's so many uh, variables and factors that contribute to an injury, right? Sleep, recovery, nutrition, um, there's workload kind of intensity. There's all these variables that contribute that are not part of the screen. So I think right off the bat, the screen is not going to be a huge tool for me to predict injury. I think the other thing is that we we tend to see people that have already had some type of injury or have an injury history in the past. Um, So maybe we look at the screen through kind of a a bias lens in general, just because we're physical therapists, they're coming to see us for a reason. 
Um, so I use the screen to try and guide their training program and what we're going to work on. So yeah, I think we do use the screen to uh, identify movement abnormalities or suboptimal movement, and we're definitely going to address those in our training program. And will that correlate to decreased risk of injury in their sport? Um, that's the hope. But I think the factors that we can, tr- can control are what are we going to do with them in a training program? Uh, but going back to golf, um, I forget the, the last part of your question, but yeah, we, we tend to see some, some movement that is, uh, especially in older golfers, they're relatively stiff and immobile. Um, and I think if you're lacking a baseline of mobility, rotational mobility through the hip, rotational mobility through the thoracic spine, um, those ha- that has implications in terms of uh, where we're placing the stress, especially on our spine. Uh, we know that certain moves uh, can put more compressive and more sheer loading through your lumbar spine, um, some certain moves in the golf swing. And if they're lacking mobility, that could uh, increase that stress on the spine. But it also seems to have, it seems to be correlated with performance, right? There's a study that came out that showed lower handicapped golfers or higher proficient golfers tend to have better mobility, rotational mobility through the hip and rotational mobility through the thoracic spine. Um, so you can kind of look at it from a, per- a performance standpoint, what sets these people apart, they tend to be more mobile and have more mobility proficiency. So I think that's definitely something that we're looking to improve, um, whether it's reducing the risk of injury or trying to improve their performance. We're, we're obviously trying to do both. Yeah, no, I think that's really well said. And I, I can I can say for a golf study with an N of one of myself, no, wait, N of two, let's include Lenny. So the two I'm of us this. here, like, I'm in this. right? Yeah, I get right. If if I'm super tight one day and I'm, I'm not feeling it, my hips are tight, I'm sore or whatever, something like that, and I go golf on it, I am positive 100% correlation that I'll have back pain tomorrow. Like it's, it's a 100% correlation. So in an N of three, we have a 100% correlation that my hip mobility uh, correlates to my low back pain. There we go. Let's publish that. Let's get that, that doing. We can find some crappy journal that'll publish anything nowadays, right? Let's get that published and, and that'll be our study and we'll kind of go from there. So uh, awesome. I want to, I, I want to call, I was going to call on you too, Dewey, but because I wanted to get your perspective here too, because, you know, we deal with a lot of kids, right? And a lot of sports performance clients. And I know you, you wanted to talk too, but I want to hear your thoughts on this. Like, I, I think we'd be doing a huge disservice to our athletic population if we didn't focus on their movement quality, right? And I think a lot of people have hit on this. It's not just predicting injury, but it's also efficiency of performance and stuff. But I wanted to get your thoughts too, just from the athlete perspective, Dewey. Yeah. So my, my thought is, especially for the younger athlete, I think movement quality does matter a ton, right? Because they don't have a ton of sport experience or a ton of repetitions built up to be a master at something. So whatever we teach is going to have a huge impact. So if we let them move poorly forever, they're going to move poorly and maybe, you know, suboptimal movements leads injury down the road, right? We kind of talked about the whole, like, you know, can we predict injury thing? Like, again, we don't really know. Um, it's not really my thing to look from that lens anyways. Um, but I think especially for a younger athlete, if you have less of a training age overall in your sport and in a gym, movement quality does matter a lot. Now, I think if we kind of look a little bit further into an athlete's future, let's say we have someone that is a very good athlete in their sport, but have never really worked out before. Then we got to kind of look at it from two, two different lenses. Do they move well in their sport? And then do they move well in a gym? Because I think those are two very different things, right? Like the first thought that pops in my head is, I don't know if you guys have all seen that like picture of LeBron back squatting. Um, he's like in the super wide stands, like super, super arched and extended. Like you look at him and you're like, 
oh my god, like I don't even know if you can get a spondy from a from a back squat, but like you might get a spondy from a back squat. <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> like it looks bad, but like he's historically one of the most durable players in the league. So like, can we say that like poor movement leads to injury? Maybe not because that squatting is not necessarily super specific to his sport of basketball, right? Like we know squatting can get you, you know, a little bit better, you know, increased leg power or whatever, but it's not at the end of the day, that specific to basketball, because if you look at him on the court, he moves phenomenally well and doesn't get injured. Right. So and I think that's kind of the big, big difference is like you have LeBron who's got, you know, a couple of decades of experience being really good at basketball and probably just moving well in his sport. We can't make that same comparison to a 13 year old kid that doesn't have that much experience in basketball or in a gym. So now we got to be able to separate and say, all right, this younger kid needs more repetitions on learning how to move better. Whereas LeBron, maybe we don't freak out and say like, all right, we got to change everything that he does and how he does it in the gym where at the end of the day for him probably doesn't matter. Right. Yeah. I think that's really well said and a good comparison to how we can't compare like professional athletes with our, our 13 year old kids that are just learning how to move. So, um, I, I guess I, I love everybody's thoughts. I guess I'll summarize it this way on kind of why we focus on optimizing movement at champion. And this is what we do, um, with PT. This is what we do on the performance side. It's a big part of like our CPS program that we kind of teach what we do, but here's why I think just kind of, and I think this summarizes everybody really well, but I'm not sure that poor movement can predict injury. But I think we can say that there is one optimal way to move in terms of, is this the most, is this the least amount of stress applied to a tissue? Is this the most energy efficient pattern to perform that? Is this the movement pattern that results in the ultimate end performance that you have? There is one way to move that will do that. Now, anything away from that is just slowly less optimal. That doesn't mean it's, it's, it's terrible. It just means it's not that, that one pattern. So let, let me use this as an example. I think if you move poorly, let's say a squat, squat with knees in to kind of go to Dan's example again with knees caving in during the squat, right? We do know that that changes the stress. So that changes the contact points of your patellofemoral joint that decreases the surface area of that and increases the amount of patellofemoral joint compressive forces on a smaller surface area. That's facts, right? That's research that shows that it does that. Is that bad? I don't know, but it changes stress, right? So it, it, I don't know if that's good or bad, but it changes stress, right? The other thing we know is that that is probably not going to end in the ultimate performance of that athlete. That is not the most efficient movement pattern to increase the ground reaction forces to have a vertical displacement of your bar, right? That's what you're trying to do. So it's going to be an inefficient movement pattern to maximize your performance. But then lastly, again, it goes down to energy efficiency. You're going to have to use other compensatory strategies to be able to perform that movement it is going to have a higher energy cost to your body to do that. And that's what your body doesn't want to do. So, so changing the way you move changes the stress. It changes the energy efficiency and it changes your ultimate end performance. Does it predict injury? No. Does it predict performance? Sometimes, right? Sometimes no. Sometimes yes, it depends. But I think it's kind of short-sighted to say that that focusing on, on movement doesn't do anything. I think it would definitely do those things, those three things really well. Was that a good was that a good summary of kind of like what you guys all said? If you break it down into those three things. So, you know, keep keep that in mind with like optimal performance and optimal movement patterns. I think we do that for those reasons. It's not always just simply because it predicts injury. 
I'm not really looking to predict injury. I'm trying to, I'm trying to help people in the other direction. So keep that in mind, you know, good long episode. I think it's important to have a bit of a longer episode for this. Cause I think it's a good, a good topic to cover. So really appreciate that one chat. That was a good one. Good thought provoking one. Uh, if you have a question like that, again, keep them coming, head to micron.com, click on that podcast link and keep them, uh, keep, you know, rating, reviewing, subscribing to us on, on wherever you listen to us. <laughs> See you in the next episode. <laughs> thanks so much for listening to the podcast if you have a question you'd like us to answer head to mikerinocom slash podcast and fill out the form to submit your question if you enjoyed this podcast please subscribe rate and review us on apple Podcasts, spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast and please share this with your friends to help spread the word it would really mean so much to us please check out all my online courses articles newsletter and more at mikerinocom There's always a ton of great perks for my newsletter subscribers. And be sure to check for my other podcast, the Sports Physical Therapy Podcast, where I go deep into topics and interview leaders within our field. See you on the next episode.